Good morning. My name is Shad Wickstrom. I'm the lead pastor here at Pursuit Church. I'd like to welcome all our guests today. Uh, if you're here with us for the first time, we're so glad that you've decided to be with us. Uh, we are grateful that, uh, that people are coming in person still in all this mess and chaos. It's, uh, it's hard to know where to go and what to do and, and where it's safe. And so uh, we're trying to keep it safe here. Uh, Liberty Common has spent a lot of money upgrading the HVAC system so that there's hospital quality air in here, which is awesome. We get to be in here for that. So just want you to know it's safe in here. Uh, and if you're watching online, we're saying hi to you. Uh, we wish that we could see you in person really soon. Uh, and we have room for you here. Uh, we know that things have shifted and it's safer to, I think we're in safer too. Is that what they're saying now? Um, but we've got plenty of room in the gym to spread out if we need to, but uh, we are glad that you are here with us in person this morning. And uh, we're continuing our series today called Strange. Strange. What a weird title for a sermon series, right? But I would imagine if we thought about it for just a minute, each of us would say, you know what, it, it feels strange. This time in history is unusual. I, I've never experienced anything like this in my lifetime. Have you? I mean, this is, this is strange, <laughs> whether it's on the, the political and social front or on the, the, the fear that's going around related to COVID-19. This is a strange season, and, and we know that in this world, we will have difficulty and pain, and struggles, and trials. You will face opposition. You will be challenged in this life. And there's a good reason for that. There's a good reason why it's difficult. This world is not your home. You were designed to live in a different world. This world that we live in right now is broken. There are signs of it everywhere, from earthquakes to raging fires to whatever the, 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 that's happening with our, our global warming, whatever that might be, we see signs that the world is not what it should be. And then we look into relationships, we see that as well. We're never as loving as we want to be, right? We're never as honest as we want to be. This world is broken, and you were meant for another world, and there's a reason why it feels strange. And the truth is that God has written eternity on the heart of every human being. So again, I want you to just take one minute and make eye contact with as many people as you can right now. Just turn, make eye contact with as many people as you can. And when you're doing that, remember this. You are looking into the eyes of someone who was created for eternity. You were created for something different, and you were created to be strange in every good sense of the word, and that's what we are talking about in this series. A number of years ago, when I was in my teen years, that's a long, actually, a lot of years ago, actually, just to be honest, turned 50 this year, so what is that? That's 30-something years ago or more. I went to an awesome camp one year, one summer, called Camp Idrahaji. Anybody familiar with Camp Idrahaji? Anybody know what that? It stands for I'd Rather Have Jesus. That's Idrahaji. But this camp was awesome, man. They had leather stuff and crafts, and they taught us how to do all these amazing things. This one summer, though, I had the opportunity to learn horsemanship. I was super pumped, super excited about it. I was going to learn how to saddle and groom a horse, ride, go horseback riding proper, you know, whatever that is that they, you know, how they walk and you walk with them, you know, you're up and down and we're going to learn all that cool stuff. 
And uh, so I paid close attention, and I was very proud of what I had learned that summer. So proud that I went home and I was bragging about how I could, you know, take care of horses and saddle them up and ride them. And my brothers were like, yeah, whatever. But I kept bragging about it. Finally, a couple weeks after we got back from camp, we went to some friend's house. The Brady's uh, were their names. Not that you know them or anything, but that was who it was. So it's a real story. I'm not making this up. We went to their house and they had horses. And I was just like, yes, I can show off to my brothers what I have learned. And so I asked the owner, I said, could, could I go and saddle up the horse and, and take it out for a ride in the pasture? He's like, sure, just be, be careful. Uh, that, that one horse is kind of fussy when you put the saddle on, so pay close attention. Well, I was like, huh, I know what I'm doing. I learned horsemanship over the summer. You know, here I was as a 15, 16-year-old, you know, pretty proud of what I'd learned. And so I saddled the horse. I put the, what's the first thing you put up? I don't even remember, like the, 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 the sop blanket. Then I put the saddle up on there and I'm working it and I'm cinching the saddle down and the horse is doing something weird and I, I don't know what it is, but I sat, I'm cinching it down and I'm like, yes, look what I have done. I have saddled a beast. Now I must ride the beast. And so I, I get on the horse and I'm, you know, I'm riding along with my brothers. I'm like, I told you, I told you. And so I decided I was going, well, I'm going to giddy up a little bit. I start going and I'm riding along and all of a sudden I start sliding a little bit. And I'm looking ahead of me, and I'm seeing this big old pile, several piles of manure. And you believe it or not, I am holding on for dear life, and I held on as long as I could, but I flew off right onto the manure, and I just was covered. And my brothers, you can imagine my brothers, they're just, they're rolling on the ground laughing at me, because in my pride, I had taken a fall, and it was covered in, well, you know what. Pride is one of the deadly sins, along with greed and wrath and envy and lust and gluttony and sloth. But is pride always bad? There's a kind of healthy pride which values one's abilities and celebrates achievements, and it motivates positive behavior. And Paul refers to this kind of pride in Galatians, a letter he wrote to a church and a group of new believers who are trying to figure out this why. And he said this, each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to other people. So God wants us to, in, in the most positive, pure way, take pride in the fact that he has created you uniquely with unique gifts and talents and abilities not to compare to other people. The moment you start comparing yourself to someone else, you've taken the slippery road to the negative side of pride. One pet lover described the difference like this. He says, when he pets his dog, his dog wags his tail and thinks, he must be a god. And then he pets his cat, and the cat purrs and thinks, I must be a god. Those of you that love cats, I'm sorry. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I tolerate cats, but I, I respect you and your, your love for cats. I'm a dog guy. But God describes pride that, that it's a faith in the idea that what he made you when he made you is right and good and exactly what it should be. And that kind of pride drives us to be our best at no matter what we're doing. And it causes us to celebrate the goodness of God in our success. But there is a pride, my friends, and we're going to talk about that this morning, that God opposes. Pay attention and listen carefully because there is a pride that God opposes. God hates all sin, but there is one sin the Bible says that God opposes. 
In other words, he turns his face against pride. But every sin breaks relationships, breaks down his creation. But pride, for some reason, God looks at a little bit differently. Friends, you and I need wisdom to live in this age. You're not going to find that wisdom in the world. The world's going to conform you to its mold. It's going to make you think about what it wants to make you think about. The enemy has energized a world system that is set against you, that is there to stir up pride in you and sin and, dis- and, and separation from God. You and I need godly wisdom that comes from careful and thoughtful consideration of God's design for life through his word, and that's what the book of Daniel is about. The main idea of the message today is this. God is faithful, powerful, and wise even when the world is falling apart. Break free from pride to reveal Jesus in you to others. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to break free from pride today. Now turn to the other side and tell them that. You're going to break free from pride today. (laughs) That's right. God wants to set us free. Let's pray as we dig into the Bible. God, uh, we thank you that your word is true and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now as we, we dig in and our minds are ready to talk about this and learn, God, would you activate the mind of Christ in us? that we would truly be able to see. Lord, I pray that you would hold back the distraction of the enemy that would seek to to keep us from learning, from growing, and from becoming everything you created us to be. God, would you help us to be landing and centered on your truth today? Lord, I pray you would speak through me your words, and they would linger in our hearts and minds as we seek you with each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bible or your Bible apps to Daniel chapter 4. You can go to PursuitChurch.com slash notes to get all the verses and the, the points I'll be making here from this passage. Uh, or you can go to live events on Version Bible app, live events, Pursuit Church right now. Click on that and you'll see the notes and the verses that we're going to be talking about here. Again, the main idea, God is faithful, powerful, and wise. Even when the world is falling apart, break free from pride to reveal Jesus in you to others today. Our key passage in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Listen carefully. Those who are wise... I want our church family and those listening to live in wisdom. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, this book of Daniel is divided basically into two sections. The first section is the first six chapters are about Daniel's story, his life, living in captivity in a foreign country. His nation was conquered, and he's living in a foreign country that feels very strange to him, much like ours is starting to feel like to us. But we learn from the first half how to live lives of integrity in the middle of a king, a king's rule that we don't necessarily agree with, that we don't adopt the worldview of that king. How do we live? And it's very uh, important for us to pay close attention to that, especially right now. The second half of Daniel is a record of his visions and um, prophetic uh, revelations that God gives him. And we're going to dig into that here coming up soon. Some of you are super excited about that. I am too. But remember, we're, uh, we're with the Jews in the story. They're in captivity in Babylon, a, a wealthy nation, a center of technology. 
It was basically the United States of the world, the world power of that time. They had their own religion, their own creation myths, their own temple towers, and the culture looked to astrologers and sorcerers for wisdom and direction, and Daniel and his three friends had been trained in that in their culture. And so they were a part of what was going on in the culture. Some of the people that were taken captive decided to just go with the flow and, and just fit into the new culture, as many of us do and are tempted to today. But there were a few, few of those exiles, a few of those strangers who decided to be a redemptive force in the world in their pagan Babylonian culture. They lived, they chose to live strange lives. Let's dig into the story. The truth about pride here in your notes. Self-focused pride can be described in the words of the Babylonian king, verse 30 of Daniel chapter 4. He says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? My friends, we are going to learn that self-focused pride can be very, very dangerous and deadly. The first truth that we see here from Daniel chapter 4 as we move along in the story is that a heart filled with pride is an anxious heart. If you're experiencing a lot of anxiety in your life, more than likely pride is closely associated to it. Now hang with me because pride is insidious and we may not see it as pride in our lives. But hopefully you'll see how that can manifest in different ways. But look in chapter 4 verses 4 through 7. This is the story. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was, he says, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told, the, told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Do you ever remember your dreams? Are you ever haunted by a dream? No? Do you ever wonder what they mean? Do you ever have a dream and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's exactly what was happening to Nebuchadnezzar here. He was having this dream and he didn't understand what it meant. But we know that Dreams can't have meaning. In this case, it did. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was the dream of an anxious man who described himself as afraid and terrified. And in an attempt to get to the root of his own anxiety, he calls in all the wise men, all the, the soothsayers and, and the people he thought would be able to help him interpret his dream. They couldn't do it. Finally, he calls Daniel, the Jewish exile who had risen to the high position, and he recognized that Daniel had been given a gift to be able to interpret the dream. So let's go on in the story. Verse 10, chapter 4. These are the visions I saw as Nebuchadnezzar sharing with Daniel. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of a land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large, uh, large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves and the birds lived in, uh, lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut 
down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let its stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let, let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. Do you see the dream here? He's been given this dream that says he's, he's created this kingdom, his own kingdom, and all the, those that can see it have been fed from it. But something is going to happen and it doesn't take a trained psychologist to see why that dream made him anxious. Everyone depended on him for life, and he was proud of that. He had taken pride in his own kingdom. But in the dark of night, when that dream turned into a nightmare, all that was left was a stump, and then that stump turns into a man with the mind of a wild animal. And that dream, my friends, is a nightmare of a person with self-focused pride. Nebuchadnezzar had committed the ultimate sin which God opposes. And it's like a nightmare to bring it home a little bit to us. It's like the nightmare of a man or woman who's built an empire in business or experienced great success at work. It's like the nightmare of a mother who congratulates herself on being a super mom with great kids and great influence in her community. It's like the nightmare of a successful investor who gets on his computer and congratulates himself on the, on the growth of his investments and how well he has done with securing his securities. And the nightmare is that all of that could fall apart, destroying everything that our life has been built on. Self-focused pride takes credit for everything that has been achieved, the abilities, the opportunities, the wise choices, the hard work, Yet below the surfaces are things that you cannot control, like your health, the economy, the political environment, the disease-ridden world that we live in, and anxiety rises because so much could go wrong, and everything that we've ever done and built and, and, and lived for can come crashing down, and we're all feeling that in some measure in this period of time in history. It feels fragile, and God wants you to feel that way so that you will seek him. And he's not far off. But look at the second thing that we learn here from the story. A heart filled with pride leads to a fall, much like a young man who thinks he's got his act together to put a, a saddle on a horse and falls into a pile of manure, which was much less consequential than this fall. But a heart filled with pride leads to that fall. Proverbs 16 teaches us this. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So Daniel goes on and he interprets the dream for the king. Let's pick up the story there. Verse 23. It says, Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven, saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass filled while the roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass for him. This is the interpretation. Listen up. Here's where he gets the message and the meaning. 
Your majesty, this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people, will live with wild animals, you will eat grass like the ox and, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. At this point in time, we can say that the king has a contemporary terminology, a psychotic break. He loses it. He was headed for a terrible fall. Pick up the story, verse 29. Twelve months later, after Daniel had shared this with him, the meaning of his, his dream, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And as the story goes on, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said, immediately it was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people, ate grass like the ox, Body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. My friends, pride goes before a fall. Each one of us must take heart. Where am I as it relates to God and his design for life? I do not want to see you fall. I pray you don't. I pray you take heed and listen to what God is saying to you this morning. Not always will we fall like Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps, but just as destructively, the fall could be a moral disaster. As we see so often among powerful men and women just this last week, another pastor has fallen from grace and moral failure. And every time I see that, my heart just sinks it's hard enough to see the goodness of God in our world today, but when, when someone who loves Jesus and is living for him falls, it's just, it just cloudies it so much, clouds it more than it should. People can fall morally. They can fall in other ways as well. The fall could be less newsworthy. A rising star in a workplace alienates people until at some point in time they all rebel against him and hate him because he's so arrogant. It could be personal. You build a life of your dreams and you, you gain the whole world as you see it and then you find yourself empty in the end. Self-focused pride always leads to a fall and the troubling truth is that I'm not immune to self-focused pride and I think you have it in you too. We all have the propensity for self-focused pride. But there's hope. The third thing we learn here, the third truth, is that a heart filled with pride can be exchanged. That's the good news. That's the good news we learned from this story today. The king, though, had a choice to make. He chose poorly and paid the price. And Daniel offered him a path to redemption in the moment where the dream was revealed. But he, he turned away from that path and he experienced God's opposition. Verse 27 Daniel, we see, warned him, your majesty, please accept my advice. 
renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, and it may be then that your prosperity will continue. My friends, God offers us that same choice this morning. We can humble ourselves or we can be humbled by human frailty, personal failure, and circumstances beyond our control. Look at 1 Peter 5. This is the encouragement we're given in response to an awakening of how pride can be a part of our lives. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. My friends, look there. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is gracious even to someone he forcibly humbles in life. He's looking for the opportunity when we turn our face to him and say, God, please forgive me for for taking hold of my own life and having self-focused pride, taking pride in all that, that I've accomplished when it was you that gave it to me to begin with. When we ask his forgiveness, he's quickly and readily forgiving us. In Daniel 4, 34, at the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar says he raised my eyes, or written in first person, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Even when, my friends, our humility is forced, God is ready to graciously lift us up as he did for Nebuchadnezzar. So here's what I want you to take away. Let me give you a few points of application today. How do we exchange a heart of pride for a heart of humility? Let's continue in our story what we learned from Nebuchadnezzar. Number one, first of all, application. We've learned that pride is out there. Self-focused pride leads to a fall. But a heart of humility is an answer. How do we get to that place of a heart of humility? Here is what we do. Number one, we embrace God's sovereignty. You and I must choose to acknowledge that God is in control and he is sovereign. Verse 37, again, Nebuchadnezzar did this. I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He embraced God's sovereignty sovereignty in that anything, everything that he had accomplished, all the things that he had done were because of God's grace in his life. And when he humbled himself, raised his face toward heaven, his sanity was restored. He got a grip on reality, recognizing that God is God and he was not. Something you need to say to yourself today, even right now, is this, I am am not God. I am not God. We embrace God's sovereignty. Sovereignty. As long as we hang on to the illusion that we are sovereign, that we have everything under control, we'll have an unbalanced life and filled with anxiety, continually set up to fail. We recognize, though, that God is sovereign and in control. We depend on him to work things out. Worship, my friends, is an exercise in humility. When you come here on Sunday, what you're acknowledging is, God, I need you, and I need your people and your influence in my life. That is an act of humility. 
That's why we come together to say, God, we need you. We need your wisdom in our lives. I need to reset my thinking because my week has been horrible and I'm all over the place. I'm unbalanced. I'm feeling anxious. God, I need you to speak to me. We embrace God's sovereignty when we worship him and it, put God, it puts God in his place and us in ours. And that's the kind of worship that God receives. So my question for you this morning, is your worship focused on God or on you? Is it focused on who God is in his amazing power, his strength, his grace, his forgiveness, his goodness? Or is it focused on what you are going to get out of it? If it is, you're going to continually feel like you're leaving short because you're not focused on God and his sovereignty in your life. When we recognize the power and authority of God, it humbles us, yet it makes us strong and confident because we know it's in his hands. The second thing I want you to take away today is to thank and praise God for your abilities and opportunities. That is a beautiful act of humility when you thank God for the opportunities and the gifts that he's given you in your life. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? In this context, Paul was writing to this new church, and they were arguing over, hey, I like Paul better. Oh, no, I like Apollos better. And they were arguing over who they were following, and they were taking pride in it. And Paul was writing them saying, you are missing the boat. It is God who has given the gifts, God who has given the opportunities, God who has given the wisdom in life. Paul was dealing with pride and superiority. What do you have that you did not receive? Where does your intelligence come from? Anybody know? Where, do your, where does your genetic code come from? Where did your opportunities in life come from? Did you choose the parents through whom you entered planet Earth's orbit? No. Did you choose the country in which you were born? No. All of that is a gift of God that we must. We're compelled to thank and praise him for regularly. Moses warned God's people of this kind of pride as their wealth and prosperity increased. My friends, we live in the wealthiest country on the planet, and we take it for granted every day. But this is the warning. This is what happens. God gives this warning through Moses. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. My friends, give God credit for your abilities. When someone honors you for your giftedness or your, your opportunities or what you're doing with them, turn that back to God. Thank God and praise God for those things. The third takeaway today that I, I want to encourage you to, to think about applying to your life, and this is important. Don't miss this. Serve people whenever and wherever possible for their good with no strings attached. 
God's people were made. All people were made to serve and to give generously. We are never more like God and in his image than when we're giving and serving others. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. You were made for that. When your life is, is, is small and around your own circumstances, you're, you're anxious and you're nervous and you're, you're balled up inside. But when you get outside of that and you start to serve others and you help meet the needs of others, you're living the way God created you to live. And you're set free. It's a beautiful thing. And some of the most supernatural experiences I've had where I know God was involved happened when I was serving someone in some way with no strings attached. If you want to see God move in your life and around you, find a place to serve without condition, without anything coming back to you. Before Nebuchadnezzar lost all his marbles, he was given a warning and a path of redemption, but he ignored it. Verse 27, Daniel said to him, please accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by what? Being kind to the oppressed. Why in the world would that be a part of him turning away from pride? Being kind to the oppressed, what in the, why is that in there? Of course, renounce your sin, do what is right, but why be kind to the oppressed? That seems odd in this context. But if you give it a little bit of thought, the king was misusing the power, the authority, and the blessing he was given. He was using it for himself. He was self-focused and taking pride in it and therefore oppressing others. And in his pride, he thought all God had given him was for his own benefit, not for the benefit of others. Man, my friends, that is never the case. God blesses you so that you can bless other people in your family, in your marriage, with your children, in your community. You are blessed to be a blessing. In fact, would you just turn to your neighbor and say, you're blessed to be a blessing? Would you do that real quick as we come to a land landing here? Humility recognizes that gifts, the gifts that God gives are not only for us, but for others. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power and for, forever and ever. Amen. My friends, you were blessed. You were given gifts, talents, the ability to, to earn money and resources, to give, not to hoard, not to hold on to. Serving others is a spiritual exercise as we place the needs of others before our own. We exercise God's purpose for us in the world. One last verse as we come to a conclusion. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of others. Again, the main idea, God is faithful, powerful, and wise, even when the world is falling apart. Break free from pride and reveal Jesus in you 
to others. So I ask now every message, what's your next step? What do you need to do in response to the message today to break free from pride or its hold in your life? What is your next step? Of those three things that we mentioned, what are you going to take home with you? What are you going to change? The biggest next step that you can take in your life is to submit yourself to God. If you are not living in God's design, which I believe is through his son, Jesus Christ, the one and only son, Jesus Christ, if you are not submitted to that in your life, that's the starting point, submitting to God in relationship to his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us very clearly, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Romans 6 tells us the wages of the sin that we commit against God, rejecting his design for life are the consequences, provide the consequences of death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life. When we submit to Jesus Christ, his son, and we say, God, I want you to lead my life. I recognize I'm sinful. I need you in my life. I can't do it on my own. Would you please lead me? When we do that, we start the process of walking in humility and receiving the grace of God. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now if you need to submit to Jesus Christ right now in humility to bow your knee, to bow your head to him. Let me lead you in a prayer. You can speak these words to God from your heart. It's, again, not the words that I'm providing you here that do what is being done. It's what's going on in your heart. But here's some words you might share and speak to God this morning. Father, I know I'm sinful, and I realize that my, my good deeds, my good works, could never make up for my wrongs, and I need forgiveness. I need your forgiveness in my life. I believe you died for my sins, and I want to turn away from them I trust you now to be my Lord and my Savior. And with your help, I will follow you as my leader in the fellowship and the friendship of your church. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me pray for those of you who are followers of Christ. God, we know that we are vulnerable to pride when we live our own lives apart from you, when we don't depend upon you in your word or in the fellowship of other believers or using our gifts and talents for you through your local church, through your expression of your bride here in Fort Collins. God, when we don't live that way, we're not living in your grace and we're living in pride. So God, help us to be restored. Forgive us where we're living in our own strength and walking in pride, where we're not applying what we know to be true of life. We pray for your grace and forgiveness now in our lives, and we trust that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence because of who you are, and we receive forgiveness in our time of need and grace in our time of need. We thank you for that. God, I pray your peace would settle in our hearts now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
as we get ready to sing one more song in closing today. Uh, if, if you prayed that prayer with me to, to give your life to Christ, I would love to pray with you, to talk with you about that, whether you're online or here in person. Um, if that's you today, I'm going to be hanging out in the back. I'd love to pray with you, uh, talk to you about that. We keep journeying together, figuring this thing, this crazy, strange life out together.